Amen. Thank you, Cliff. If you have your Bibles this morning, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 11. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. It should be on the screen behind me if you don't have that. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Why do we care that Jesus came back from the dead? Of what use is his resurrection for us? He wasn't the first to come back to life in the scriptures. He wasn't the last to come come back to life in the scriptures. So a resurrection, which is obviously rare isn't totally unique. And even if it were unique, wouldn't that simply still just be an interesting factoid? An interesting tidbit that you might know, a little piece of trivia. For instance, the world record for the 100-meter dash is 9.58 seconds, set by Usain Bolt. That's fast. I, right now, if you timed me, may not be able to run 100 meters in twice that time. So what good does his world record do me? He ran a really fast time in the 100-meter dash. What effect does that have on me? Usain Bolt could have somehow run even faster. We think it's impossible to run 100 meters in less than 9 seconds. Let's say he did it. He did what we think is impossible. What good does that do me? My time's not any better because his time's better. In fact, I actually feel a little bit worse because he's so much faster than me. What good is someone somewhere doing something incredible, something that we would say is even impossible for me? What are the effects of that on me? Why don't we think of Christ's resurrection in this same light? Why are we still celebrating it 2,000 years later? Well, among other reasons... Our text today tells us that when Jesus came back to life, it wasn't just an impossible feat. It wasn't just an incredible thing that no one else would have thought to be able to be happened. But it had an effect on us. So much so that we do still celebrate it 2,000 years later. We still, right now, gather in this room today because he came back to life. In fact, we gather every Sunday because he came back to life on Sunday. We're still celebrating this every single week, but why? Because it has an effect on us. His resurrection isn't simply a piece of trivia. It's not simply something that is true somewhere, something that someone did something amazing. It's that his resurrection has a very clear effect on us, his people. 
While I read verses 1 through 11 today, we're really only going to focus focus on verses 1 and 2. We had to read the whole passage because the gospel that Paul refers to in verses 1 and 2 is the content from verses 3 through 11. He's reminding them of the gospel, the good news that he preached to them. And as he reminds them of this gospel, he's reminding them what he said about Christ. Christ is the gospel. He is the good news. His person, his work. He's the perfect son of God who became a man to save his people from their sins. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death on your behalf. He raised back to life. And then he ascended to heaven shortly after. This gospel, those facts of Christ's person and work, that's what Paul's referring to in the beginning of Corinthians 15. He says that these facts are of first importance. That's how he delivered them to them. That Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said he would. He was buried. He was raised just as the scripture said he would be. And he was seen and known to be living again by hundreds of people, one of whom is Paul, the man writing this. He said, no, he's alive. I have seen him. Those are the facts that he's relaying back to the church at Corinth. We're going to focus on verses 1 and 2 this morning so that we can see the effects of Christ's resurrection on us, his people. But verses 1 and 2 have no effect. They are of no use if 3 through 11 is not true. If 3 through 11 didn't happen, if those aren't facts, then there is no effect of the resurrection. Because if 3 through 11 aren't true, there was no resurrection. But they are true. It happened. Christ died and came back to life. He was resurrected. And his resurrection matters for you today. From the text, just those two verses, we can see that the resurrection has four effects on us. There are four effects of the resurrection that we'll see in this text today. First of all, by the resurrection, because of the resurrection, you have heard the gospel. You've heard the good news. Paul is writing here to remind the Corinthians of the gospel, which we've said are the facts of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. But reminding them assumes that they've actually already heard them, that they already know them. You can't remind someone of something they don't already know. That's something they've already heard before. And he's reminding them because he's afraid that this might be old news to them. As a pastor, I know several other pastors in the area. I follow what pastors say on social media, on Twitter. I read their blogs. I think about how pastors are approaching issues all the time. And Christian holidays are an interesting time to be a pastor. For a lot of guys, the repetition of every year we talk about his birth, every year we talk about his death, eventually it can start to feel like it's kind of old news. How do we say this again? They've already heard it. They already know. They've already understood. How many times am I going to have to preach the same sermon over and over and over again? So we start to get creative. We try to think, how am I going to say something new about this? How am I going to say something in a way that they've never heard it before? But Paul wasn't concerned with that. Paul just wanted to remind them. He said, that which I have already told you, I am reminding you of. I'm telling it to you again. He was concerned that the same old story had become old news to them. Christ died for your sins and he came back from the dead. May that never be old news to us. 
Let us hear that again and again and again. Because that never gets old. He died for your sins and he came back to life to give you new life. That's the gospel. That's what he's reminding them of. That same old news which you have heard every Easter Sunday, as long as you have been in any church for Easter Sunday, cannot become old news to us. We have to be reminded of it because of the effects of the resurrection on every single person in this room. That resurrection, those facts, have an effect on you. He's reminding them because it's worth remembering. There are some things that are worth remembering. The gospel of Jesus Christ is first and foremost among those. I have a memory that is starting to fail. Uh, I'm only 29, and my memory is starting to fail. But there are some things that I don't have to be reminded of. There are some things that are easy for me to remember. I married my wife on March 22nd, 2020. I know that date very clearly because we were not supposed to get married on March 22nd, 2020. We were supposed to get married on April 25th. 2020. But we got married on March 22nd because the mayor of Kansas City, where we lived at the time, announced that there would be a 30-day stay-at-home order due to COVID that started on March 23rd, 2020. So, being the engaged couple that we were and a mere six weeks from our wedding, the thought of being locked apart for what we knew was going to be longer than 30 days was so important to us that we said no. We canceled our engagement. We canceled the wedding that we had been planning, and we got married. That is a core memory for me. You don't have to remind me of that. It's worth remembering. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that he died and came back to life, that is infinitely more worthy of being remembered than my wedding date. Sorry, destiny. It's worth remembering. So he reminds them of it. He's reminding them of the gospel and its effects because they have to remember this truth. And he isn't writing this to some generic group of people. He's saying, I am writing, I am, now I would remind you, brothers. He's writing for specific people who he knows, who he loves, who he cares about. He says, I'm writing to remind you, my brothers. Brothers, it's a familial greeting. These people are like brothers to him. They're close. They're joined together in love. They're brought into that relationship, that familial unity by blood. The content that he is preparing to remind them of is both personal and familial for them. But it's also theological. They are fellow children of God. He's able to call these people his brothers because they are, by virtue of the gospel, by virtue of their repentance and belief, children of God together. They are fellow heirs with one another and with Christ. So his audience, who he loves, who is very close and dear with, is very specific. And if it's specific, then it's also exclusive. You see, the effects of Christ's resurrection on you are only actually effective for those who have responded to the truth of the gospel. For those who have responded to this message with repentance and belief. If you don't believe the truth of the Easter message, or maybe even if you believe that it's true, that Jesus did come back to life, but you don't believe that that's true for you, that when he died, he died for your sins, that when he came back to life, he came back to life to give you new life, then the gospel has no effect for you. 
you're not part of this group that he's talking about. The lion's share of Paul's point today just doesn't apply to you. But it could. Very simply. Very easily. And we know that though this message is exclusive to those who are children of God, it is also inclusive. Because the the language that Paul uses here, I would remind you, brothers, isn't meaning specifically to men. It's men and women. It's a generic term. I would remind you, everyone. Anyone can get in on this. Though it is exclusive to those who have responded, anyone can respond. It's not exclusive in a, a way to keep people out. It's exclusive in a way to invite people in. He's reminding them that they have the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. So while the message is exclusive, the option for inclusion is open to all. Paul is addressing anyone who has repented and believed to show that anyone can repent and believe. So he's preaching to you, brothers. He was reminding them of the gospel that he preached to them, of the resurrection that he preached to them. You see, because of the resurrection, you've heard the gospel. I've said it to you over and over already today. Christ died for your sins and came back to life. Those simple facts of Christ's person and his work, that's the gospel. Had Christ not come back from the dead, no one would have ever told you that God saves sinners. No one would have ever told you that you have the chance to have new life. Because you wouldn't. Apart from the resurrection of Christ, there is no gospel. Apart from Christ's person and work, you cannot be saved. So because of the resurrection, you've heard that truth. You have that opportunity. You could respond. Someone at some point told you the gospel, just like I am telling you today, giving you the full opportunity to either discover this gospel and its truth and its effects, or remember this gospel, these truths, its effects on you. That wouldn't happen without the resurrection. Romans 10, verses 14 and then 17 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith, which saves, comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Because of the gospel and its truths, you have heard that truth. You've heard the truth of the gospel. The only reason you've heard the good news of Jesus preached to you is because there is good news because of the resurrection. Christ coming back to life for you results in you hearing the gospel and you having the opportunity to respond. By the resurrection, you've heard the gospel. But also by the resurrection, you have received the gospel. That's the second effect of Christ's resurrection in our text today. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. It's not simply enough to hear the gospel preached. You can't just sit there, hear my words, and have it be applied to you. It has to be received. It doesn't matter how beautiful the Hail Mary pass from the quarterback is if nobody catches it. If it lands in the end zone. Simply hearing the good news this morning does you absolutely no good. It has no effect on you if it is not received. If you do not respond to it. Ultimately, how we know whether you, are, whether you have received the gospel or not is because it does change you. It's a message which can't not change you when you receive it. It makes you a new creation. 
when you understand, accept, and believe that Christ died for your sins and gave you the promise of eternal life, it changes you. That truth has an effect on you when you hear it, when you accept it, when you receive it. This last week, uh, we had tornado watches a few days here in uh, Conway. And I saw a message on one of the days uh, from the city of Conway that said, uh, alert, the tornado siren for this segment of Conway is not working right now. And I thought, well, what good is that? What good is a tornado siren if it doesn't work when there's the possibility of a tornado? This is Arkansas. The tornado siren evidently worked in January when we didn't need it. But in the spring in April, ah, sorry, guys, you're on your own. And the more I thought about it, the more I got a little bit frustrated because it's actually the tornado siren in the neighborhood where my parents live. And I thought, are you kidding me? Why have a siren if it doesn't work when you need it? But then I remembered, I have never once changed what I was doing because of a tornado siren. I haven't in my entire life heard a tornado siren and moved a single inch. Usually, I just keep eating dinner and figure I'll be fine. It's not that big a deal. Statistically, it's probably not going to hit my house. So I can be mad that the tornado siren isn't working when there's a tornado. But if I'm not going to respond and receive the message of the tornado siren when it goes off, what difference does it make? A tornado siren that works or doesn't work doesn't help me one way or the other if I'm not going to receive its message. If I'm not going to change who I am and how I act when I hear it. I may have heard the siren, but I haven't received the siren. I haven't accepted the siren, been changed by the siren. Because if I actually believed it was true that a tornado was about to take apart my house, I would move. I would act. I would be changed because of the message that I have heard and received. And if you actually believe that Christ came back from the dead, you would change your actions. It's going to have an effect on you. First of all, you would take the first step of obedience, the first response. You would repent and believe. You would turn from your sin and believe that Christ died on your behalf to give you the chance at new life. You would put your faith, hope, and trust in that truth and that message. That's your first step. That's how you respond. That's how you are changed by that message and how you receive it. And once you've done that, then you pursue his life. You pursue his holiness, his image with all of your actions, with every thought, with every deed, with every moment. You pattern your life after God's design for your life. You're changed by it. Those who have received the gospel are no longer the same. And it's by the resurrection, that truth, that you are able to receive the gospel. The third effect from our text this morning of the resurrection on us is that by the resurrection, you are standing in the gospel. Still in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. In which you stand right now. This is a current tense. It's a present tense. Your state of being right now, if you have received and accepted the gospel, is that you are standing in it. It's absolutely true for you. 
Those of us who have placed our faith in Christ are now currently at this very moment standing in that same gospel. If you are a Christian today, your salvation is not simply something that happened to you sometime in the past. It's not simply something that you prayed that one time in the past. It's not a decision you made one time when you were six. If you are his, you are right now standing in that same salvation. In that same truth, in that same message. You didn't pray a prayer that one time to become a Christian, and now you've somehow moved on past the gospel. You're going on to other things. Now it's on you to be perfect. Now it's on you to do that which is good. No, no, no. Christ saved you. Christ saved you. He is saving you. You are standing in that same salvation. When he said it is finished, he meant it. And that is always true. Just as it was finished then, it is finished now for you. You are currently standing in that same confession, that same belief, that same repentance, that same gospel now that you were that moment that you became a Christian. Is that how we actually think about our faith, though? Is it a present reality for us in this room? When I ask you, are you a Christian? Do you think, yeah, I did this back then? Or do you think, yes, right now, he is still saving me. Right now, I am still standing in that same gospel. Right now, his resurrection still has that effect on me. Because it does. If you're his, you're always his. Do you think about your salvation as something you once stood in? Something you used to stand in? Yeah, I used to really care. I was really involved. I really prayed. I really read my Bible. But now, whatever. Is it something you're presently standing in? On that same truth, those same promises right this second. By the resurrection, you can be standing in the gospel. You could be standing as one who is in a courtroom. You see, that's a common question in legal proceedings. Who has standing? Who can appear before this court? To have standing is to be able to state your case. To have the right to appear before the judge and to not be thrown out of the room. By the resurrection, by Christ's gospel, you have standing right now before God in his courtroom. You have an advocate on your behalf in Jesus Christ the righteous who is your mediator. Who speaks to the father that which is good for you, which is the work that he accomplished for you. You have the ability to boldly approach the bench of the mercy seat of the God of the universe and expect to be welcomed there as one who is not guilty. Because Christ took the guilt for you and he died with it. You have standing right now as one in the courtroom before God. This standing, this ability to stand before a holy God and to not perish in his presence. To not instantly die before him. That's an effect of the resurrection on you. That's an effect of Christ's work on you. Right now. That you are justified before the Father. You are stamped not guilty. Righteous. Because of Christ's work. Because of his gospel. Because Christ came back to life. You have life before God rather than death. Right now. By his resurrection, you are standing in that same gospel today. Finally, the fourth effect of the resurrection on us is that by the resurrection, you are saved by the gospel. Verse 2. 
and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The gospel of the resurrection is what saves you. Nothing else. It's this gospel of which Paul is reminding the Corinthians that Christ died for your sins, he was buried, he was raised, all of this in accordance with the scriptures, all of this in accordance with the plan of God before the foundation of the world to save you, to redeem you, to make it to where you as a sinner can stand before him and rather than perishing in fear, you can approach him as a child to his father that same gospel by which you are being saved. And it's only by that gospel that you can be saved. There's no other message that saves. Acts 4, verses 11 and 12, which should be on the screen behind me. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's by nothing else. No other person, no other work, no other death, no other life, no other resurrection, no other power, no other mercy, no other sacrifice, no other promise given to you that you can be saved. It's only by the sacrifice of Christ. It's only by the work that he did on your behalf. It's only by his gospel. You cannot save yourself. It's absolutely impossible. You are a sinner through and through. But you serve a God. You're a creature of a God who loves and saves sinners, who's a friend of sinners, who came to seek and to save that which was lost. You can't do it yourself, and no one else other than Christ can do it for you. But Christ will do it for you. He is the one who saves. That is why he came. That's the point of this day. That's the point of his resurrection, to save you. To redeem to himself sinners. To call them his children. He will do it for you. Notice what it says in verse 12. By which we must be saved. Those who call on the name of Jesus must be saved. His blood cannot be ineffective for you. It absolutely has that effect. All who come to him he will not cast out. That's what John 6.37 says. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. There's no other name by which we must be saved. But by his name, you must be saved. You will be saved. All who come to him, he will never cast out. No one else who ever came back to life in the scriptures did that for me. No other fact, no other truth. No other interesting feat of humanity ever had that effect on me. But his did. Jesus, the God-man, living the perfect life that I couldn't live, dying the death I deserved to die, and coming back to life to give me new life, that had the biggest effect on me. I'm never the same because of that. For all of eternity, I will be different because of the truth of Christ's resurrection. He will never cast out or set aside those who trust in his gospel. It is by his gospel, his work, of his resurrection, that you are being saved. But that gospel is applied to you only by your hearing, receiving, and currently standing in it. 
all these effects that we've talked about are only true for those who are his. They're only true for Christians. But they can be true for anyone. Anyone can get in on this. Anyone can get in on this. There is no requirement that you have to meet to come to God other than being a sinner. And guess what? You did it. You met that one. All who come to him, he will not cast out. You've heard the message. You've heard the truth of the gospel. So receive it. Believe it. Accept it to be true. Turn from your sin in repentance. Resolve to follow that sin no more, but rather to follow after Christ. Place your faith, your hope, your trust in him and his finished work for you and on your behalf for your salvation. And then when you've done that, stand in the gospel. Glory in it. Revel in it today and every day. Let that fact, let that truth be the driving force, the primary picture of your reality and your identity for the rest of your life. Never be the same because of that truth and Christ's work on your behalf. And then one day, when you die, and you will, you can do so in the full confidence that just as Christ was raised, you will be raised. Just as his resurrection happened, so will yours. We know that it's true. We've heard that it's true. We have to receive that it's true in order for us to be raised with him. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for the God-man who came on our behalf, who lived the perfect life that we couldn't live on our behalf, who died a death on our behalf, who was buried in that tomb on our behalf, and who came back to life on our behalf. Let us remember this same truth that we've heard. Let us be reminded of it each and every day, every Sunday, every week, every Easter, because your gospel is worth remembering. Let us hear it. Let us receive it. Let us stand in it and save us by it. You've said that you will, and we trust that your promises are true. So God, give us faith. Give us repentance. Though we believe, help our unbelief. Let us be a people who are marked by your love, marked by your gospel, today and every day. In Jesus' name we pray.